This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. Joining us, and I was thinking about him all through the 10 episodes of watching The Last Dance, because I just finished it up on Sunday. I'm like, where is Craig Hodges? Well, he's here with us today. He is a champion of not just the basketball court, three-point champion, all of that, but also in life because he's out there doing God's work. Let me welcome the one and only Mr. Craig Hodges. Hey, brother. I appreciate you, sister. Just listening to you, I want to thank you for this opportunity. And hopefully everybody that's listening and, and watching you, everybody's well and taking care of their family during this madness. You too. You too. Um, listen, this this is so personal because people are getting sick and dying, you know. So I cannot sit back on the sidelines. And at the same time, I can't be quiet. I'm not just going to give everybody a free pass. So we're going to have an adult conversation because we, we can argue, fuss, and fight and still get together and do some things. That's how I feel. No doubt about it. And I think, you know, just the fact that you're able to bring truth to this matters and and just to to listen before I came on to the conversation you were having. And we're at a point in our history where it's a unique period in that we have really the opportunity to come out with a mature mindset and really make some make some real conscious decisions with what we do, both with our money, with our time, with our energy, and to be able to, to galvanize our people in such a way as we never have before. And to the issue of politics and the different, you know, uh, candidates and all of that, right now it, my mindset is uh, we have to come, come together as a people before we make our political decisions and choices. And and, I, and in, in that, I mean that we who are athletes and entertainers, I feel like we have the ability and the visibility to call together a collective of our people. And for one, I say before we talk to any of these politicians, we should say, can we get back to the level where it's truly one man, one vote, one woman, one vote, as opposed to just going to some quasi-electoral college that, no one really knows the inner workings of and how it actually dictates when it comes out in the end of who or can, who the president is and all of that. So to me, right now, more than anything else other than our collective health and mental wellness, I think it's time for us to think in terms of our economic well-being and how we can move forward in a collective. And from that, we generate our political mindset and choices. That should happen now. It's too late for November, unfortunately. We can't tackle right. the Electoral College. is not going to be overturned in this nope. election. But this Understood. is, again, we, we have to be people that think forward. There's going to be another election for president in another four years. And after that, another four years. If these things are a bother now, let's start dealing with them now. So I, I couldn't agree more. I'm going to ask a question that's strange. Um, who radicalized you? And I'm using that language on purpose because you came up in an era where uh, in, in the NBA in particular and all throughout sports, you um, were different. What happened to you, Craig Hodges, that made you say, I cannot be quiet and just take this check? Well, for me, when, when I think about I was born June 27th, 1960. And when I think of all of my colleagues that played in our generation, we all came through that same period of Jim Crow, you know, and that for me, I was blessed 
that my soul came down in the Hodges household where my mom was the secretary of the civil rights movement. When I walked in the house the day that Dr. King was murdered, I saw my grandmama and granddaddy crying, and I had never seen my granddad shed a tear. So for me, it was something that it, it, sent, shiv- it sent shivers down my spine. And from that point on, I was driven to find out what what was the meaning of it? What was the intensity of that moment that it seared a, a passion in me to study about my people? And then I was blessed to have Tex Winter, bless his soul, recruit me to Long Beach State and get a chance to study under Dr. Uh, Malana Karinga, was my first black studies professor, the founder of Kwanzaa. Dr. Khaled Muhammad was a professor. Amin Ra, all of these brothers taught me research methods and how those research methods could affect and be solution-based. So when I got to the NBA, my mindset, so I think in terms of players who are totally focused, like they, you know, in this whole documentary thing, they talk about how totally focused Michael was on basketball, which is true, I saw it. And for me, I was always, I'm not even going to say split focus, but I know that my mindset was more on my people than the game, and that the game was, a way for me to enhance the life, not only of my family, but my extended family of African people. So it's not even, uh, it wasn't even a choice of mine. And and when we think of that, for me, when I hear the conversations going on and where we are now in this quarantine, I ask my people to research as much as you can about yourself and come out of this thing more with the entrepreneurial spirit and vibration as opposed to working for others. Let's see how we can work for ourselves and, create a collective that can be generational in its, uh, in its growth and, and, and being. Today is uh, Nia, which is also Purpose, Everyday Kwanzaa here yeah. on the Karen Hunter Show, by the way. Um, oh, so good. Everyday Kwanzaa. As you walked into, those lo- into the locker room um, with your talent, what was the climate and the mindset? You know, I, I was watching, again, Last Dance, and they talked about, mm-hmm. you know, that North Carolina Senate race that Jordan said, you know, uh, allegedly, well, he said he said <laughs> it, uh, that Republicans yeah. buy sneakers too. You know, you show up after the championship wearing nice. African garb, which was dope, and, and ask something of the president of the United States, had a letter for him. Talk right. about that a little bit, because that's truth to power. Well, for me, once again, we were taught when we were babies, we were, like I said, we were part of uh, Jim Crow, so we used we marched, we wrote letters. So one of the things, I had written letters all through college to politicians who, who conceded, who had some sort of power over our people. So the night before we got ready to go to White House, I thought we were going in June after we had actually won the championship, but we didn't, we didn't actually go into until the uh, training camp had started. And... It was the night before when I was playing ping pong with one of my homies, and it hit me right then. Man, you didn't roll letters to everybody else. You, you got to write one to the president. And at that point in time, it just took a life of its own in as far as just sat down and thought about what my mom and what me being part of the civil rights movement meant, what it meant to our people, what ancestors had sacrifice for me to be able to go to the White House, for me to be able to be an NBA player, for me to be able to be a collegiate player, in fact. So it was it was almost a cultural imperative that it happened. And, you know, for, to this day, that's the most important letter I've ever written because it wasn't just about me. It wasn't just about uh, black people. It was about those people who have been disenfranchised all over the globe. And, and, and you being the 
most powerful person on the planet, can you consider the issues of those poor people disenfranchised? And if you're going to consider helping someone, especially our issues over 400 years, should be at the top of the list. This podcast is brought to you by CarShield. With all the uncertainty in the world right now, everyone's top priority is safety. And protecting your vehicle is crucial, whether you're on the front lines as an essential worker out there protesting or even making trips to the store. We rely on our cars a lot. And I actually want us to get out of debt. So hold on to your cars, pay off your car. But that also means you're going to need extended coverage. So go to CarShield. CarShield takes the worry away from car repairs. They have affordable protection plans that can save you thousands for cover repair, including computers, GPS, electronics, and more. And the people at CarShield understand payment flexibility. That's a must. Monthly payments can be customized to your needs with rates as low as $99 a month. No long-term contracts or commitments. CarShield gives you options you others won't. CarShield gives you options others won't. You can get to choose your favorite mechanic or dealership to do the work, and CarShield takes care of the rest. They also offer complimentary 24-7 roadside assistance and a rental car while yours is being fixed. CarShield has helped more than a million customers, so you drive with confidence and peace of mind knowing you got covered by America's number one auto protection company. For as low as $99 a month, you can keep your family safe and save thousands for a cover repair. Give them a call, 800-CAR-6000, mention code KAREN, or visit carshield.com, use code KAREN, K-A-R-E-N, to save 10%. That's carshield.com, code KAREN. A deductible may apply. What happened once you once you gave him the letter? What, did you ever hear anything back? Never heard nothing back, but uh, in doing my research for my book and, and the documentary, and like the the Bush Library in Texas has been cool as a fan, man. They, and even when I went to the White House, I never it was it was never uh, really an issue, so to speak. I think the issue was more with the NBA and the visual of me wearing a dashiki, me having you know no one even knew about the letter because I couldn't hand it to the right directly to the president. So it was a thing where I gave it to um, our press secretary, who was Tim Hallam at the time, and he gave it to the press secretary. And, you know, the ramifications came the following season when I was an unrestricted free agent for the first time in my career. I was at, you know, 32 years of age, ready to win another world championship, and the Bulls released me. Now when they released me, I'm at the earning potential. Now, at that point in time in my career, I felt like, if I earn five million a year, I could leverage four million in Chicago and programmatically change violence, mm. change education, change economic development issues with four million because oftentimes we want to make it as though we need trillions and billions of dollars in order to solve the issues of our people. And I I I know that that's not the issue because I saw it happen when I was a baby and how little we had and how much was done with the little that we had. But what we did had, we had a unity of purpose. And that unity of purpose propelled us all. And that's the thing that I've asked of us now is how can we galvanize a unity of purpose where the purpose is about this next generation as opposed to being about us. And what can we do wherever we are, whatever state we're in, we're able to mentor a younger person to be able to come behind us in this profession or this given field so that we can see some progress. So, you know, the NBA basically blacklisted me at that point in my career, and, and for me it was, a, it was a burden and a blessing, the burden of knowing that you're capable of playing, but the blessing of being able to be with my sons who were teenagers at the time, and I could be with them every day 
and go in the gym and wax their heads like they were pros. So it was one of the things where I never stopped playing, but the fact that I had my sons there with me helped me all the way through that. So knowing that and knowing that the only people that really had a problem with it was the league, would you, if you could go back, would you have done it differently? Not at all. And then that's the, that's the part of growth, man. When I look at the lessons that I've learned since that period that are so much more than whatever I could have earned within the league, I would, if I would earn the type of money that I was supposed to earn during that period of time, I wouldn't be in a position now to be able to have both the courage, the confidence, and the critical ability to create, to, to, to critique things in such a way that I didn't have back then, man. That even if I'd have had the money I had, I know that we wouldn't we wouldn't have gotten where we would need to be. And I feel mm-hmm. like now, now I feel like time, situation, and this whole pandemic thing has put a whole different energetic with not only our community but across the planet that's lending to a certain consciousness and a certain spirit of courageousness that hasn't been there before among our people. If, you know, thinking about the blacklisting, you know, because, you know, I've been blacklisted. I don't know if Lamont has. It's not a, it's not a good, it's not a good feeling. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a good feeling because you, you're not expecting it because you're just telling the truth or you're just showing up as you are. And then you lose jobs and opportunities because of something you said or did, but there are no rule books for you. Black people should never say this. If you do this, they didn't tell you up front. If you show up in a dashiki, that's going to cost. No one said this until after the fact, right? And then you you don't get picked up. How do we navigate those spaces when, you know, and, and it's like, we you should know. You should have known you should have showed up like that. But, like, who yeah. were you hurting? What were they afraid of, do you think? What yeah, do you think they I, were afraid of? J. Edgar Hoover said the thing that he feared the most was unity of the Negro, period. And, and in that case, and knowing that you yourself, think about this. When Malcolm walked to the podium to make the ultimate sacrifice, he didn't know. Dr. King walked out the room at 6 o'clock. He didn't know. So the brothers stood on the podium knowing that we're making a cause for black people and, and poverty and homelessness across the world, and they raised their fists. They didn't know that the ramifications come back home. I'm not going to be able to get a job because I'm the top world athlete, and, and, and we we have, like yourself, you know, you come on, you come on there, and you say something. Now, when you come off there, you can't go on there again, even though you know you're capable of saying so many things to save people. That in itself is one of those things that we have to educate. And I, and one of the things I can say, sisters, that and brotherhood is that this generation, white, black, brown, and they have a certain energy right now where they're seeing through all of the falsehoods. So a lot of the airplay that you guys are getting that's taken away from CNN, NBC, and all of that is young folks are searching searching for that energy of truth. And they're looking for wherever they can find it. And now they're finding it in uh, people that oftentimes don't look like them, and they know what white privilege has garnered them, and they're not cool with it. And it's not until that happens that we get, though you were saying it earlier, that until we get White people are in ivory towers to admit to not only white privilege, but the mode of capitalism and the hurt and destruction of black people and black economics that is caused. Until then, the conversation is mute in as far as what can be done in a holistic approach. But among ourselves, we can do it overnight. And it's happening already just in this. MJ, in, in, in this MJ 
documentary, I think it's a it's something it's something it's a power that's beyond their power. So those who have put into place this whole economic venture of last dance, gym shoes, all of this, they they somehow feel that that is the power, but there's another power that's on the other side of that, and that's the power that, that we work with. And when and working with that power, it's something that's coming that's bigger than us, and we can feel it. It's like the championships. We knew we were getting ready to win, but we still got to do the work. Hey, Craig Hodges, great NBA champion, author of Long Shot, soon to be a documentary as well. Sir, thank you for coming back in. Tell us about this documentary. Well, you know, it's, it's a culmination of work. Like I said, when I wrote the book 18 months ago, actually uh, the book came out in 2017. It took me 18 months to write it. Uh, got with the ghostwriter. I should have been published years earlier, but never really took the time. I thought I had something, but when I really sat down and saw the whole process, it's like everything else is something that you have to learn to do. I feel like everybody has a story to tell. And for me, it was just a combination of years of, loving the right, but sitting down and actually telling the story. Many people have speculated about what happened in my career. And I wanted to some not necessarily set the record straight, but to just get my story out of me for my sons and my grandbabies, uh, if nothing else. And to be able to be a published author was something that I wanted to do. And, and my first book signing was at my public library because <laughs> I wanted to see my book in the library because that was always, one of the things I had in mind when I uh, wanted to write it. And, you know, I'm doing stuff with young people here in, in Chicago Heights area. And as far as getting a group of young people together, it's 11 of them. And we're putting together a compilation book where everybody writes their ideas of where we're going. And it's a journey of young people, where they're going. And it's like we're going on this fictional journey, but it's their vision of it. So, it's a, it's a good thing that I feel like everybody should write, whether it be their ideas or what have you. But for me, in the process, I found that, you know, you need to write down about 100 questions if you're thinking about writing a viable book, possibly, and and depends on where those 100 questions flesh out is where your story would be. But for me, it was just learning the process of painting the picture that someone could see in their, in their mind, you know, what what smells in the room, what type of aromas are around, and, you know, what what the vibrations are, you know, from a lot of different areas. So in writing, it was it was um, meditation in a lot of ways for me. So I'm in the process of writing more. So right now I'm doing one on text winner and the impact of the triangle on basketball and, and the ability to use this book as a, a tool for up-and-coming coaches on a, a – I think the best system, systematic way of playing the game. And your documentary, which is you're working on now, um, yeah. how is that going to be different from Last Dance? Oh, I'm a man. <laughs> well, one one of the things is that I know that, like, well, like with yourself, we're part of a fabric. We're not we're we're not doing this in a vacuum. Like we came up with something new in as far as fighting for freedom and and human rights for people and that's basically what it is. It's that, you know, being able to show, you know, going to the White House is just a long line of um, resistance fighters and freedom fighters and, and, and those who saw their time and in, in their position of influence or what have you to be able to attempt to make a difference and make a difference you will, not necessarily in your time, but 
down the line even. I had a chance to speak to Dr. John Carlos, who's one of my heroes, and, and um, he he told me that during the Olympic campaign, one of the things that they had spoke about when they found out all the players weren't going to boycott and all the runners and athletes weren't going to boycott, he said he felt disappointed, but he was reminded that they were laying seeds. And when he saw me go to the White House, he felt like one of their seeds had started to germinate and that it made him know that what they did was good and right. And I feel the same way that we're part of the, we're part of a collective that's not necessarily a whole lot of people, you know? So it's true when they say the road to freedom is seldom traveled by the motor too. So we, uh, we're blessed to be. So I feel blessed that MJ didn't include me in, in the whole video and, and documentary thing, because I feel like that set me apart and, and I didn't want to be part of that whole collective of, you know, the NBA was something that I was blessed to be a part of, but actually the inner workings of it is so ugly to me as just from a spiritual end. And even when I was in it, you know, some of the, some of the drama and some of the madness that was going on, like you spoke of with the Republican by Jim shoes too, you know, that whole commentary to me was ludicrous from the standpoint, had he not said anything. And I say, MJ, if he had not said anything, well, nobody cared about Republicans or Democrats buying gym shoes. They're going to buy gym shoes because they want your shoe, brothers. They ain't got nothing to do with their politics. You know, so until you bring it up, it becomes an issue. But until that point, my whole drama, my whole thing with that whole issue was, man, your mom told you to uh, represent the brother. You know, right, you right. your mom tell you do what you do. It ain't no biting back about him being Democrat or Republican. I, I kind of appreciate it, though. In that moment, he also said that he gave money. And he said that, you know, he kind of he kind of implied well, this could be me inferring that if he had it to do over again, he 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 one wouldn't have said what he said or two. He might have went about it a little differently. So I kind of appreciated that um, being somebody who hated hated the Bulls and hated Jordan growing up. Uh, I kind of appreciated that maturity. Um, but I feel like, though, they could have at least mentioned you because you were a pivotal part of, of you know, the, the first couple, and they they sat and talked with other people for 10 seconds and got mentions of, of other people who had no bearing on on the success of the, of the franchise. So that's, right. that's, that's, a, that's a, you know, I, I'm glad you didn't take it personal, and I'm glad you feel this that you're a part. Brother, it's like point. this. To know, to know that you have been systematically excluded all right? Mm. Just to show you how far this goes, brother. All right. All-Star Weekend 2020 is in my hometown. I'm the first champion from Chicago on the first championship squad. I won three consecutive three-point titles in this town. I didn't get a ticket. I didn't get credentials. None of that for the weekend. Now, I said, okay. Now, when the memorabilia piece comes out, and I want y'all to check it out, it's in Slam Magazine. MJ is on the front, and on the back is his Unite campaign. Okay? That's the name of his marketing campaign for Zion Williamson. Now, I'm going to show y'all a picture. I'm going to send you a picture, because we're going to have to have this conversation. Mm-hmm. We did the Operation Unite campaign. From 89 and 90, Queen Latifah, Chuck D. And I'm saying, brother, y'all exclude me from your from the documentary, which I didn't know anything about during All-Star Weekend. But then when I see the All-Star Weekend memorabilia come out, 
I don't have any tickets. I'm watching my colleagues at the table for credentials. They're getting the credentials, and you don't have any credentials for Craig Hines. What's up with that NBA first? And I know that's why I tell people, Michael Jordan is Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan is a very, very, very small cog in this old machinery. So when I look at your, the fact that you come out with a documentary during a pandemic, for one, economics, so let's look at what Ronald Emanuel says, never lose out on an economic opportunity when there is a calamity. So you've got, you're already vibrating on that spirit of things. You're selling mm. gym shoes in Atlanta, Georgia, during a pandemic with brothers and sisters standing shoulder to shoulder during the time we're dying at a certain at a certain rate untold. But Max Kellerman on ESPN with Stephen A. Smith, who called Craig Hodges out, and they won't invite me on the show. So I'm asking y'all, when y'all going to invite me on the show and allow me, Stephen A. Smith? And let me tell you, sister and brother, look how you, look how you frame this. You go into my history and say, oh, every black man got to respect Craig Hodges. But then you say, Craig Hodges was broke. Okay, brother, define that. Secondly, if I was broke, why you didn't reach out to me? Then you're going to say Phil Jackson brought him in. Basically a charity case now, man, Phil bringing in professionals to win championships. Don't, don't, don't try to equate my professionalism and my ability based on a charity case. No, brother, it's my intellect in the game and what I do. Likewise, I was, man, broke. What is broke, man? And that's, that's sad because we allow, we allow and we support buffoonery. And for that brother to call me out without, man, I got babies and grandbabies that watch your show, brother, and you're going to call mm. their family out? My sons are hot with you. I let them respond to you, and I, my sons don't respond in no physical manner, but allow them to be on your show and talk to uh, talk about Hodge for Hodge. Because the way y'all did me, that's some cold. That's cold. And MJ, how you not going to have a brother that's in the backcourt with you when you make that shot in Cleveland? How you not going to have a brother that's in the backcourt with you when uh, your, your, the person that you call selfish had a migraine? I had 19 points. You had 18, brother. How did John Paxson get in the lineup and have Craig Hodges spot Michael Jordan? Ain't nobody asking them questions. Ain't nobody asking questions. And me being the teammate that I am, understanding where we were, understanding I understand what, what went on in that summer when John Paxson got in the lineup. But, brother, I want you to tell me what went on. You follow me? Because you talk about selfish. What went on? I want to know. I have had window and people tell me, from different circles, that Michael wanted to play in the backcourt with John Paxson. And I'm saying, brother, how? what did I do to get me out of the lineup? I was averaging 15 points a game in the series when we went down. So come on, man. And triangle? Triangle is what I learned in college. I taught Texas out, sisterhood. When Tex wanted to talk the triangle to the Chicago Bulls, that's how they framed it. Right. It was Craig Hodges and Tex Winter teaching the triangle, not the other way around, because Tex told them the first day when he implemented the system, Craig played in it. So allow him to show y'all how to do this. But ask, them, ask MJ to admit that and that, and they want to talk to them. I love Phil, but Phil know where he got it from. He got it from Tex, and that's why ain't nobody running it now, because don't nobody want to hire me. 
and don't nobody here on the planet know it but me now because Texas is gone. So let's tell the truth on the game. That's why it's wow. into this whole analytics of you have a positionless game in a game that has five players that have positions. What is this about? This is about Europeans and white supremacy racism allowing more jobs for those who look like them as opposed to look like us. And once again, once again, who is the only owner in the league that look like us? But when it came to negotiating on behalf of when he was a player, Michael was with players. When he now is the owner, he's against the players and us making revenue. Come on, brother. Come on, man. And I've been cool about this thing, but, sis, it's time. It's, and it's time for this. It's time for truth. And it's time for truth to be told about a lot of things concerning the game where I'm concerned because they want to try to make it like all Craig Hodges could do was shoot. Check this out. It was no three-point shot in the, game, in the college or high school basketball when I played. So when I came to the league, I didn't come into the league as a three-point shooter like Steph Curry. You I came into the league as a point guard, period. Right. So, so with, with all that being said, right, every generation mm-hmm. has its activists in sports. We, we, we play like – a lot of us play like Colin Kaepernick was the first. But you, you, you got people right. like you. You got people yeah. like – John Jackson, Carlos right? and Tommy Smith. He uh, just mentioned – yeah. um, Kareem, Ernie Banks, Jim Brown, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, people like that. Uh, Mahmoud Abdul-Raul. Um, no doubt. Do you think the, – the conversation today, today actually on social media was, do you think athletes are obligated to take social positions? given their size of their platforms now and, and their reach? For me, I say too much is given, much is required. And it's not upon any of us to say when someone comes into that consciousness to have a given spirit. But what I say is don't be a roadblock to someone who is attempting to teach on behalf of your people. So when I look at Colin Kaepernick, I look at there's a certain amount of commercialism around that also from Nike. You know what I'm saying? So there's a certain part of it that it is what it is. I'll get your bread, brother, because you deserve it. No problem with that. You're doing the great things that you're doing. My position is now and will be is that we have to build this collective consciousness of community within our young student athletes early so that it's, an, it's a part, the community is an essence in you, you know what I'm saying? And that it's, it's one of those things where I, we're, we're blessed. We're blessed to have models. So where I look at now, you have this generation where you got some brothers who are standing up doing some things, even like you said. We, we, back in the day, we had to research those brothers that you're talking about on a certain level. You might have seen Kareem, but you didn't know the background of it because you didn't go into it, and that wasn't your, that wasn't your particular thing. But you can see by just certain symbolism. Like I was talking to Dr. John Carlos, he said he's been a he should be a movie star by now because yes. his, his face and image has been in so many movies and TV. You know, so it's one mm-hmm. of those things that you know we have to just continue to drive, man. And that I, I feel like we as brothers we have to know that now it's sisterhood's time. It's their twenty five thousand year period to to reign, and and we. We who are brothers, we have to make sure that we make that foundational support so strong that they understand that, yeah, we, we forgive y'all now because we see the brothers stepping to the plate doing, doing some powerful things, and we know y'all who we know y'all the kings y'all are. And that's why 
I feel it's a certain look in the power structure today. They don't know what to expect coming out of this whole thing they they call quarantine. But for us, I tell people, in the city of Chicago, there would have been no way to stop the number of murders without the quarantine. And during the first part of the quarantine, there wasn't a whole lot of shooting going on because everybody had to be in the crib. Now, how can we foster that same hunker down mentality and go out here? But when we hunkering down, we putting down our weapons and we going out here and rolling. But see, that's a, that's another whole topic, Oof. and that's why I say MJ and resources. We we're gonna have to have you back. I want to make sure people get to talk to you and give you your roses, brother, because oh. you deserve them. Uh, Justice in uh, is that Massachusetts? You're on with Mr. Dr. Craig Hodges. Oh, yes, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Thank you for taking my call. You're welcome. Oh, the Craig, I read book, man, and, uh, man, you're a paramount, brother. Much respect. I'm up here in the hills uh, getting the work out in, guys. But uh, I just want to give a quick shout-out, man. Thank you for your, your, your contribution to society. Much respect. I'm a little winded at this point, so I don't really, I kind of forgot what I was up. I'm glad you're exercising. Uh, I'm telling yeah, you. Yeah, I got to do it. Got to do it. Yes, get something there for me, brother. I appreciate you. So that's, that book is Long Shot. There's going to be a documentary by the same name uh, later on this year or next year? Well, actually, they're still working on the name. Uh, Dave Zyron, uh, who's, uh, who's wrote the forward for my book, uh, he's been, his thing was, don't, he came, when I spoke to him about it, he was like, man, Every time I go into NBA locker rooms, I'm asking people about social activism, and they're constantly coming back and saying, don't be like Craig Hodges. And that was wild to me that this is actually something that either an agent or a manager, general manager, coach, somebody, somebody that has studied or saw what, you know, 32, 30, 31, 32 years of age, that's what Kevin Durant is in this career now. And I wasn't able to play again, and that's that's so – it's, crazy. it's wild to me, but my com- competitive mindset is still there to a certain degree where I still have certain times in my mind where I think about hooping and I think about, like, when I go in the gym now, I still shoot my two or 300 J's. And it's one of the things where it never stopped until a degree. I'm so happy that it went the way that it went because I think that it had I retired, I might have, you know, sat back and tried to get fat or whatever, but that ain't even in my gene pool, but anyway, you know, just sitting back chilling as opposed to staying um, constant in research and and having your mind on saving and doing anything you can for this next generation. What are your thoughts on LeBron, LeBron James? Love that brother. Love him. I love, I love uh, you know, him and uh, Lord rest his soul, Kobe. I think they, I think they were going to do some real big things after, after their career, after LeBron got done. I think, you know, when we talk about some political circles, I think uh, some of that was in the plans for us, um, especially, especially some of the moves Kobe was making internationally. I think he might have been setting the stage to possibly utilize that later on in some some stature, whether it be in the political realm or whether it be in the diplomatic realm, but. He was doing some things internationally, and, and LeBron is the same way where, you know, they realize that they have the impact, you know, internationally of Muhammad Ali and that they can they can real power. And, and I've been, you know, impressed with his ability to mentor younger brothers and, and bring them along in the business mindset that 
you know, it, it shows that it can be done, and it can be done with you and your own kind, and that we don't have to. And that's one of the cool parts about who we are as a people, and it's so it's so blessed, but it's it's that blessing and burden is that since we can do everything, we feel like we don't have to do everything within home. That I'm a great lawyer, I don't have to be a great lawyer and be a great lawyer in the black community alone. But right now, we need everybody to come to the crib. Come to the crib for two or three months. Great lawyer, great economic. Come on to the crib. We build a crib. Let's call it the family reunion. You know what I'm saying? Everybody come to the crib. We have a family reunion of African people the globe over. Do it virally. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, let's see how many people can put up pictures from Ghana, Zimbabwe. You know what I'm saying? And, and then we bring the family home. We say, you know what? Man, look at what we're capable of doing. And then move. Fire. Fire. Mm-hmm. Reggie in Virginia, you're on with Craig Hodges. Hey, Reggie. First of all, we have to always say peace and blessing to the beautiful queen. I bow to your greatness, my queen. Peace and oh. blessing to you. Now, Mr. Hodges, my cousin Pat Freeman, you was on this show a couple of weeks. You remember that, sir? Yes, sir. Hey, I want to thank you for being a strong black man. And first thing that really pissed me off, because I know we're on cable, when that thing came out, I know you're going to mention the name of that piece on ESPN. And I'm just going to say, first I said, where's Craig Hodges? Where's Craig Hodges? And it just amazed me how a certain individual that makes all this money off of shoes and people are getting killed for his shoes made sure that you were nowhere to be found in that piece, that thing they did. So, black man, I want to thank you so much for being a strong black man and love your people when so many people didn't love you. Appreciate you, brother. Thank you, thank you, man. And you know what's so funny about that to me is that you can try to you can try to you can try to tap dance tap dance around it, but you know you'll see me on the plane. <laughs> you know you'll see me driving sky. You'll see me driving horse, and all of that's cool. See, little stuff like that gives my heart joy. It ain't even about sitting there interviewing, what it was like to be with Michael. No, but to see us, to see us where what we were striving for, at some points we felt it was unattainable. And then to actually be in the moment and working towards it and see everybody pulling their their weight. Yeah, MJ, you're great, but we have to get to our levels of greatness. You know, and everybody's greatness correlated at the same time with our coaches being great. Man, that's that's the that's the part of it that he should be highlighting, and that's the part that brings unity. That now it's not picking sides. It's not Stephen A. Smith and Jay Williams talking about Craig Hodges. It's a unity thing, man. And I feel like this whole thing could have been more unified in the way that just like how we want. We want in unity. It wasn't about Michael Jordan when we was in our huddle, and Cliff was saying, "What time is it?" It wasn't. That wasn't about MJ. That was about the crew, and we can ready to win this thing. So it's bigger than that. And you're bigger than that. Craig Hodges, you got an open seat at our table. I want you to come back and just chop it up about oh, anything because you can talk about anything. Any Anytime. And, and once again, like I said, I'll make sure that I get you all the information as the documentary and film gets closer to coming out because, once again, it's not, you know, what, like you said, how the book is doing. I, when I was when I learned to play basketball and I got drafted, I didn't even think about the money of it. And that's how silly I am. And I was, I'm, I'm, and I'm still silly. Like right now, this, the money from the book, the money from the movie, I ain't tripping on that. I'm tripping on 
man, can our people see what potential we have? Can our people see that we came from greatness, and since we came from greatness, it's not like Trump's job, make America great again or make Africans great again. It ain't none of that. We already great. We stay great. We always going to be great because that's the stock that we come from. And that being the stock that we come from, it's all about us coming to unity, sister and, and brother. Let me know whenever y'all have me back. I'm honored and privileged. And everybody we'll there listening, y'all be safe. And make sure y'all drinking plenty of your water. Yes. Yes, sir, Craig. And buy his book because we need to support people who are out there doing the work and not caring about the money. The book is called Long Shout. Craig Hodges, you come back anytime, brother. 